We, are, we have been going through the book of Proverbs, and particularly the portion where Solomon gives, I give, said, I give you 30 sayings of knowledge and understanding. And uh, we are going to be looking at Proverbs 23 and verse 19 tonight, which says, my child, listen and be wise. Keep your heart on the right course. Keep your heart on the right course. Now, really what this is saying is that you and I are responsible for the condition of our heart. Uh, a lot of times we think, we, we think well, God's just going to do something. You know, like, God, make me do this. God, take care of this. God, do that. But it, it's really interesting that God expects us to do something in order to prepare our hearts. In fact, Jesus said this. Jesus said, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. Now, when Jesus is talking about the tree, he's talking about your heart. And he's saying, you can make your heart bad. How many of you could think of some ways that might take your heart in the wrong direction? But he also said you can make your heart good. Now, if you make it good, the fruit is going to be good. If you make it bad, the fruit is going to be bad. Now, what we sometimes do is we'll say, oh, but they've got, they do bad things, but they've got a good heart. Uh, honestly, that's not biblical at all. Because the, the truth is your heart is going to produce the actions of your life. In fact, your, your heart is like a field. In fact, Jesus tells a parable in uh, several different, of the go different, different gospels. And, and he says, the, the sower goes out and sows the word of the kingdom. He says, and it falls on different kinds of ground. He says, some of it falls on stony ground. Some of it falls on a path. Some of it falls on the thorns. And some of it falls on good ground. And then he talks about how each one of those is a different type of heart. So what determines the fruit is not the gospel that's sown because the same gospel is sown. But what determines the fruit of your life is your heart. So 2 Chronicles 12, 14 says this. And he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. He did evil because he did not prepare his heart. To seek the Lord. And in other places, it will talk about someone who prepared their heart and it said they did good. They did what was right in the eyes of the Lord because they prepared their heart to seek the Lord. So I want to talk to you tonight about preparing your heart. What do we do to prepare our hearts? Now, in James 1, verse 27, it says, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this to visit the orphans, the widows, and their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, notice it says to keep one self. We're like, God, keep me. But God say, no, you keep yourself. How do you do that? You do it by taking care of your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues of life. Some translations actually, paraphrase translations, say the boundaries of life. And so in other words, where your heart is determines what you'll do. You will go this far and no farther because your heart, that's what's in your heart. Out of your heart flow the boundaries. And out of your heart flow the issues of your life. I think we all know this. It all starts with a thought. Thought becomes an action. Action becomes a habit. And a habit ultimately forms our destiny. So we're told to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. 
Now, part of seeking first the kingdom is to prepare our hearts. And I just want to give you some very, very practical things tonight about how to prepare your heart to seek the Lord. And then I want to talk ending about the one thing that the, the number one thing that messes up our hearts right, and keeps us from what God has for us. All right. But number one, very simply, take time to pray every single day. Take time to pray every day. Again, it, it, it's something that you build into your calendar. It's not something you do sporadically. It's something you should do regularly. Now, here's why prayer is important. Because when you pray, your heart is turned. It's turned towards the one that you pray for. It's turned towards the person you pray with. And it's turned towards the one you pray to. So as you take time daily to pray, it turns your heart towards God. Now, again, it's important to have a time. In fact, Jesus had said, you know, go into your secret place. I think it's great to have a place where you pray. You know, it might be a chair. It might be a closet. It might be a room in your house. You might be like me. You're a walker, like to walk and pray. But have a place where you pray. And have it be not something that's sporadic, but have it be something that you do on a daily basis. You've heard me say it. I'm going to say it again. It's not what you do occasionally. It's what you do every day that changes your life. So in, in not that the emergency prayer, the emergency SOS prayer, yeah, that's great. You need those sometime. Uh, I love what Nehemiah said. He's standing before the king who has the power to take his head off. And the king has asked him a question, and he's like, if I give the wrong answer, I'm dead. It said, so I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king. This is one of those SOS prayers. You know, like, God, help. But let me tell you something. When you get in a bad situation, those SOS prayers that just automatically just come up out of your heart, they come up out of your heart because you've been talking to God a lot. Because that's where you go. It's become a, a regular part of your life. And, of course, there's, there's great Bible prayers to pray. In the New Testament, there are several places where you find the Apostle Paul actually praying, giving prayers that he prayed for churches. Now, here's what's interesting. These prayers are inspired by the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you pray those prayers, God inspired them, and God wants to answer those prayers. And uh, Ephesians 3, Ephesians 1, Colossians 1, there's just a number of places. And I would like to just encourage you, find those spots and pray them. Number two, be a doer of the word. Be a doer of the word. You know, the Bible tells us in James chapter 1, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So often people make the mistake of thinking, I know that. But it's not what you know that makes the difference. It's what's working. Amen. It's what you're doing that makes the difference. It says, so be a doer of the word. The word that you know will not change your life. The word that you do is what changes your life. And when we are constantly doers of the word, what happens is it turns our heart. It turns our heart again. Number three, confess and forsake sin. In Proverbs 23, 13. Oh, I've got the wrong scripture down here. 
The one I'm looking for is he who confesses and forsakes his sin will prosper. He who confesses and forsakes his sin will prosper. Now, if you cover your sin, it says you're not going to prosper. But when you confess and forsake, the, the long, here's the thing about sin. The longer you stay in it, the harder your heart becomes. When a person sins, when a Christian sins, the first thing we should do is run to God immediately. Ask for forgiveness. Forsake it. It's when we ignore that sin and it stays in our heart that our heart gets harder and harder. And literally, the Bible says that our understanding in Romans 1 becomes darkened. We literally get to the place where we don't even know what's right and what's wrong. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel wrote this. This is, this is as he's confessing the sins of his nation. He says, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that he, we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. He said, when we turn from our iniquities, we confess our sins, we turn away from them, then we understand truth. That's when we'll understand God's word. But when we don't do it, literally, we become hardened by sin. The Bible says that you, it becomes like your conscience has been seared with a hot iron. Uh, if if uh, you took an iron and put it on my hand, it would burn, it would heal, but when I touched it afterwards, I wouldn't even know it. The skin would have healed, but the nerves won't heal. And that's what can happen with sin. You can confess that sin, but if you haven't forsaken that sin, and God hasn't done something in your heart, your conscience is still messed up. And it, ta it literally takes, that's why David said, create in me a clean heart and a steadfast spirit. Let me see sin the way that you see sin. Hebrews 3, verse 13, but exhort one another daily, well, it's called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Lest any of you be hardened. Now, it's talking about our hearts. They become hard. Now, here's the thing about, about sin. The Bible says in, in uh, Hebrews 11, it says, rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, sin, I'll say this, sin is pleasurable when you do it right. You say, I didn't think it was. You just didn't do it right. See, the Bible says there's pleasure in sin. Right? But listen, for a season. For a season. Because ultimately, the fruit of your, of your work is going to come, and it's not going to be pleasurable. But there is pleasure in sin for a season. So it says, least any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin always promises you something that it cannot deliver in the end. And what it does is it hardens your heart. And what you think is this. You think, well, I'll do this, and then I'll, I'll quit, I'll repent, and I'll come back. But not realizing, the Bible says this way in Proverbs, it talks about the cords of sin. In other words, when a person participates in sin, sin wraps its cords around you. And you think you're just going to take off. But you walk about 20 feet, and that sin gives you a yank and pulls you right back in. It promises what it cannot deliver. Right? It's deceitful. 
There's pleasure for a season, but there's always the fruit. There's always what it, it does not deliver what it promises. And then it wraps its cords and keeps on pulling that person back. So number, number, next number, four. <laughs> and my notes is 3.5. All right. It says today in Hebrews 3, verse 15. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. So number four is this. Obey the Holy Spirit. Obey the Holy Spirit. Now, when we disobey, it does harden our heart. But when we obey the Holy Spirit, it softens our heart. We just become more and more tender towards the Spirit of God, towards the things of God, and towards the Word of God. As we obey the Holy Spirit, when He gives you that nudge and says, do this, do it. When He gives you that nudge and says, don't do it, don't do it. And as you do that, you literally, you prepare your heart for the future. Your heart gets softer and softer towards the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the things of God. Amen. All right, number four, five. What's, it's four on my notes because it's five on yours. All right, is keep right company. Your inner circle of friends has such a powerful, powerful effect on you. The Bible says in Proverbs that the righteous choose their friends carefully because the way of the wicked will lead them astray. The way of the wicked will lead them astray. So what it's saying is this. It's great, and you need to have friends that aren't Christians. But you need to be influencing them towards the kingdom and not them influencing you towards the world. Uh, in, in, in fact, I, I like to say it this. When God wants to bless you, God brings somebody in your life who's going to encourage you and help you spiritually. When the devil wants to mess you up, he brings somebody in your life who's going to try to bring compromise into your life and turn you away from the things of the Spirit of God. So we, we want to be very, very careful. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good morals. Um, the person that I think about when I think about friends in the Bible more than anyone else is Samson. Now, you say, why Samson? I mean, the Bible doesn't mention any of his friends. That's exactly the problem. Samson is about 20 years old. He's, I don't know, not 10 miles away from home. He's in a little town called Timnath. Sees a beautiful girl, and he goes home and says, Dad, I want to marry that girl. Get her for me as a wife. And uh, Dad says, look, uh, you, you crossed the international border. You left Israel and went into the land of the Philistines. And that girl, she worships Dagon. Now, this is, this is going to freak you out. But this is, Dagon is a male mermaid. Man from the waist up, fish from the waist down. Now, you know you messed up when you're worshiping a male mermaid. And he said, no, 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 no. She looks good to me. Right? I, that's the one I want. He's going to get married. And this is what the Bible says. It says that they went and found 30 men to be his friends. So in other words, he did not have one friend. Not one. And every time you find him in the Bible, he's alone. He's never got anybody with him. Ten years later, he's in Gaza, sees a prostitute, spends the night with her. If he had had one good friend, they'd have slapped him. How many know you've got to have a friend that will slap you when you need slapped? And say, what the world are you doing here? This is not where you belong. You know, you're a judge in Israel. You're a man of God. You're a woman of God. You don't belong here. Let's get out of here. 
Right? Ten years later, Valley of Sorek again. Not one friend is ever mentioned with him one time. You need to have at least four good faith crazy friends. Yeah. Right? At least four. All right. We'll talk about that some other day. All right. Number five, six. Be part of a life-giving church. Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the custom of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as we see the day approaching. And uh, I'm really, I'm so thankful for the internet, for podcasts, for television, but you need to, if if it is possible, you need to get into a good Bible teaching local church. And the Bible says so much the more as the time of Jesus' return gets closer and closer. Look, Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is building the church. Jesus loved the church. He died for the church. He is coming for the church, and he manifests himself through the church. You understand, Jesus is about the church. And we need to, we need to be in church, part of the church, more and more. When Jesus talks in the Bible, in, in the book of Revelation, it's to the church. It is to the church. Uh, I know there's people who think I can just be a Christian at home. You know what? Not a Bible Christian you can't. You can't. Over 30 times we are told how to love one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burden. It's one another, one another, one another, one another, one another, one another. The first thing that happens when you become a Christian The Bible says the Holy Spirit takes you and puts you, baptizes you into the body of Christ, into the body. And Jesus said, I will build my church. Uh, Next, I'm just going to go next numbers here because I'm getting all messed up because I got extra stuff in my notes that wasn't there before. All right. Be a doer of the work. I would say work. Now, we talked earlier about being a doer of the word. Right? But listen to James 1.25. But whoever looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, of the work, this man will be blessed in his deeds. So it's not just talking about being a doer of the word, but be a doer of the work. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be proud, haughty, not to trust in unsearched riches, but in the living God, who richly gives us all things to enjoy. Let them do good. Everybody say, do good. Now, there's a lot of the Bible that talks about being good, but this isn't that part. This is the part of the Bible that's talking to Christians and says, let you do good. Not just be good, but do good, all right? Do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. I I remember years ago, and none of you know who I'm talking about, okay? But there was a a woman in the church, and uh, she would call, I think I can honestly say at least twice every week, and insist that one of the pastors, particularly me, would go over to her house. And she would want to talk about something, and she, she, would, she would need prayer. I mean, she was just the most needy, needy, needy person. And uh, 
I, I remember being at her house one day and she was complaining about a certain person in a situation and, and she, she says, you need to do this and you need to do that. And, you know, and I finally, I, I prayed with her and, and uh, I, I remember saying to her, now here's what I want you to do. I said, I want you to go and I want you to visit so-and-so and I want you to pray for her and I want you to bring her some food and I want you to clean her house. She looked at me kind of like you. Like, you have got to be kidding. And I said, no, I'm, I'm absolutely serious. You know. Well, she did and she called again. But it was a different call. Right? It was like, oh my goodness, God is so good. I did this and I did that. And I, I mean, the joy the joy that came into her life when she stopped looking at herself, right, and began to give herself to others, when she began to be a doer of the work, right, and not just a, not just a hearer, right? Uh, number seven or eight, some, eight, it is eight, I, th I thought it was eight, okay, be a worshiper, Jesus said, God's a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The tr the, when, when you worship God and you connect with God spirit to spirit, when your heart connects with the heart of God, there is nothing that will do more to bring change in your life than when you connect with God in worship. In uh, Romans chapter 12, it says, uh, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the... Re oh, excuse me. That's the second verse. I want the first verse. But I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. And some translations say your reasonable service. Others say this is your spiritual worship. It's worship. Worship, you can worship when you're lifting your hands, when you're singing, you can worship by resisting sin. You can worship by presenting your body to God. But when you worship and you touch the spirit of God in worship and he touches your heart, it opens your heart in the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the healing power of God, the delivering power of God flow into you. And they can, more can happen in five seconds of worship than in 500 hours of counseling. They that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, much of the worship in the Bible we find has to do with, with music. But worship, it opens your heart. The spirit of God moves in it. When David would just play his harp, the Bible said the evil spirit that was oppressing Saul, it would flee. As he would worship. Elijah is in the desert and the kings come and they say, what do we need to do? And he said, bring me a musician. And the Bible says when that musician began to play, the spirit of the Lord came on the prophet and he gave them the word of the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked king. And you, you remember the story in Nebuchadnezzar in, in chapter, I believe it's two. He has a dream. And Daniel interprets the dream and says, King, you're the head of gold. There's going to come another kingdom of silver and then one of iron and bronze. And, and to the next chapter, the king makes an image of solid gold. 
and literally in rebellion against what God had said was going to happen. And he sets it up and he gets all of the, the leaders of the provinces together. And he said, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lure, the symphony of all kinds of music, he said, then you will fall down and worship. You will fall down and worship. You know, I don't know if you realize this, but music does open your heart to the spiritual realm. The king understood that. He understood that that music was going to open their hearts to the spiritual realm. And it's true in an ungodly sense. It's true in a godly sense. David, a godly young man, is playing, and the Spirit of God filled that room so strong that the evil spirit could not even stay there. And uh, when we worship and we connect with God in worship, it touches our hearts. Worship connects our heart to God. Number nine, sow into the kingdom of God. And it's just this simple. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you put your money, your heart goes. It's that simple. I remember years ago, 30, 30 yeah, close to 30 years ago, um, Jeannie and I bought a piece of property out in uh, Byron Center uh, I, on Homridge Street. I had never been on Homridge before. Found this piece of property for sale, and uh, we bought it. And after we bought it, I would drive down Homridge Street about three times a week just to look at it. Right there, oh, yeah, there it is. There's our land. Yep, there it is. It's still there. Looks nice. Look at the tree in the back. And then, and then we started to build, and I go every day. I just go and look. You say, why? Because my money was there, all of it. <laughs> you know, where your money is, there your heart will be also. Uh, you, you may not think of it this way, but Jesus told us that money is a spiritual thing, and it can actually direct your heart. It can direct your heart. So, so it was crazy. Go see empty land, go see a hole, go see cement walls, you know. Just, this, oh, look at there. There goes the, there goes the plumbing. Yep, there goes some electrical wires. Crazy, but where your money is, there your heart will be. Number 10, prepare for a fight. Prepare for a fight. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he knows the importance of your heart. That you need to keep it with all diligence. That means you do the right things to prepare your heart. And you make sure you're not doing the wrong things that are going to harden your heart against the things of the Spirit of God. Jesus said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God, it suffers violence. And the violent, they take it by force. They take it by force. Now, I want to take just a moment and I want to talk to you about the thing that stops our progress in the grace of God and hardens hearts more than any other thing. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, beware Least anyone fall from the grace of God. Least any root of bitterness, unforgiveness, spring up and cause trouble. And thereby many be defiled. And what gets defiled is your heart. In 1981, Aliaja, 
left Turkey and made his way to Italy and finally to Rome. Oh, you've actually got my stuff. Ah, all right. He had, thank you, thank you, thank you. He was on his way to assassinate John Paul II. And as, the, as Pope John Paul went through the streets of St. Peter's Square, Ali Aja made his way as close as he possibly can, could. He pulled out a pistol and he shot the Pope, John Paul II, four times. Uh, he was critically wounded. They, they got him into surgery immediately. He was there for six hours. And uh, the Pope ended up staying in the hospital for 22 days, recovering. Uh, when he got out, uh, it was on the cover of Time magazine that Pope John Paul went and visited in 1983. He went and visited Ali Aja in prison. In fact, it made the cover of Time magazine. The world could not understand what was John Paul doing in a prison with the man who had tried to kill him. Shot him four times. He sat with him for a half hour. He held his hand. And he said, I forgive you. He shared the gospel with him. And uh, when he left, he said, he has become my friend. And uh, it's really interesting that later in, in, in years, uh, John Paul would actually get cards in the mail from Ali Aja, right? Wishing him good health and, and, and the best. Now, the media was captivated by what, what was, was happening there. But what, what he actually did was he did the thing that every Christian is supposed to do. Every Christian is supposed to forgive. In fact, John Paul uh, actually later petitioned the Italian government to commute his sentence and to pardon Aliaja, which they did as a result of what the Pope asked them to do. And he was released from prison, although the Turkish government got a hold of him for another murder that he had committed in Turkey. Jesus said this. He said, every time you pray, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Now, I think this is really, really interesting. Uh, Jeannie and I were actually talking about this on the, on the way here tonight. Uh, we're reading a book, and it's, it's talking about a process of, of years sometimes where people are forgiving. But Jesus said that you can forgive anybody of anything in 60 seconds. He said, every time that you pray, if you have anything against anyone, forgive. Forgive. Just do it. Just do it. Because it's not a feeling. It is a decision. It's a decision to forgive. To say, I no longer demand any recompense from you. And then, of course, Jesus told us what we need to do after that. He said, you need to pray for your enemies. You pray for those who spitefully use you, who mistreat you. And you pray for that person. You pray for them, that God will bless them, that God will reveal himself to them. You don't pray they get in a car wreck. You pray good things. But when you do that, when you do that, Je Jesus said that every time that you pray, why was it so important that Jesus thought every single day when you pray that you should check your heart and make sure that, that there's nothing in your heart against anyone? 
because you keep your heart with all diligence. In unforgiveness, it says in Hebrews, it calls us to fail from the grace of God. It keeps God's grace from working in us. You know what God's grace is? It's God's power to work in your life today. His mercy has to do with your yesterdays, but his grace has to do with your todays, for your tomorrows. And it really is the number one thing that keeps our hearts from being ready, from preparing our hearts to seek and to follow God. Now I'm going to ask everybody to stand, and I'm going to ask our ministry team to come forward. And uh, if you're here tonight and it might be that there is some addiction in your life and you say, you know what, I need to confess, I need to forsake today, I want someone to pray with me, I want you to come forward. But I think the vast majority of anyone who's going to come forward, it's going to be because there's something that has happened in your life and you need to forgive. You need to forgive. And you just want someone to pray with you. Our ministry team's going to be here. Well, uh, the worship team just leads us in a song before we dismiss. Now, if that's you, I want you to make your way forward. The rest of us, we're just going to be worshiping. We're going to let God touch our hearts.